You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Now, if you could pick up your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that Bible as our gift to you. You can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, that's page 238 in the church Bible. We're going to be skipping through and looking at a few verses from uh, chapter 8 until chapter 15, just a few in each. And so be ready to flip pages as we go. Before we start into God's Word, you know what one of the problems that I have with religion is? Religion, which is different than faith, religion often presents God as inaccessible or unaccessible to average people, that we don't have a grasp to Him, that we can't come to Him as we just did and ask Him to intervene uh, in our lives, that we have no access to Him outside of special people. Uh, Religion often adds layers between God and man that were never meant to be there. That's why Jesus was so angry with the Pharisees when he came to this earth, when God came to the earth and he went into the temple courts and saw what the Pharisees were doing, trying to make money off of uh, and holding people back from coming to God, and he was angry. Uh, Religion makes regular men and women uh, think that they're holier than they really are. Uh, Religion uh, says that you have to look a certain way or speak a certain way in order for God to take you seriously. Again. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs because they were nice looking on the outside, but they were rotten on the inside. But the Bible teaches the opposite, that God is accessible to anyone through faith in his son. Uh, No matter your race, uh, your class, your gender, uh, God wants you to come to him. And that he is not impressed by the outward, but looks to the inward, to the heart, for simple faith, for humility. And if, as we look throughout Scripture and we see the different people that God would commune with, there are a few that we see him commune with like David. David was uh, such a simple guy. We might think of him as a rock star, the guy who killed Goliath, uh, the guy who united the kingdoms, or we might think of him as a murderer and an adulterer, which he was, both of those things. We might think of him in his kingship as as wearing gold and special armor and, and commanding armies. Or we might think of him as the shepherd who wandered the fields with the sheep. We might think of him as a great friend to Jonathan and an excellent military leader. Or we might think of his messed up parenting where he blew it with his wife and children. We see in him us, different uh, dimensions of David, great warrior fierce fighter and yet poet and songwriter. He was very much like us, human, flawed. But he was a man of faith, of simple faith but powerful faith. And that's why he is the only one to be called a man after God's own heart. Not because he looked good, not because he had all the qualifications, but he came and took God at his word. He is the second most talked about person in the Bible. He had... uh, 
Abraham and Joseph had 14 chapters dedicated to them. Jacob, 11. Uh, Isaiah, Elijah, 10. But David had 66 chapters of the Old Testament dedicated to him, plus 59 references to him in the New Testament, next only to Jesus. David, uh, out of David would come, out of his family tree, the birth of Jesus. God would choose out of that family tree uh, to bring Jesus, his son, into the world. And David is a type of Jesus. He points to Jesus. He's a, he's a lesser, he's a flawed version, but he points to the great redeemer who would come to save not just a nation, but humanity from their sins. And so that's why we're starting this new series uh, that will be our winter series called King David, Like Us in Every Way. There is so much in the life of David. As I spent these uh, last three months uh, alone with God, I was immersed in the life of David as one of the um, times that I would spend every day. Um, And there is so much that happened between David uh, and God and his life that we can take and apply to our lives here in the 21st century. Yeah, culture and technology has drastically changed in 3,000 years, um, but the challenges of life are still the same. And you're going to see that over the next three months as we're encouraged and as we're challenged. But for the rest of this sermon, I want to paint for you a backdrop um, of the life or of the society, of the nation that uh, David is about to be born into. Because it was a nation, it was a time with a lot of similarities to the time we are currently living in, that we're facing It was a time of confusion, a time of unraveling, and a time of panic for many. And we can learn, and we can have confidence. So let's just take a minute. God, we pray that you would help me, a simple man, uh, to talk about what happened 3,000 years ago. You recorded this. You determined that this would be recorded. Um, You preserved it over thousands of years so that we here uh, can learn from it, learn from the faith of David, and apply it to our lives as we follow you in this uh, sometimes challenging world. Help us to open our hearts um, and give us confidence as we step out into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been talking to many people over the last couple of years, but especially it seems like the last year. And, you know, people are bringing people as the pastor, people talk about what's on their mind and on their heart, right? And talking to somebody and they're like, oh, what is so messed up with this uh, system that we live in now? It's, it's going to take me eight months to three years to get a new vehicle. Uh, why can't I just buy a vehicle? They can't get the chips. And that person said to me, it's taking me nine months and I can't get a new bed. Uh, another person was talking to me and they're, and they're like, what is with all the seemingly wars that are, that are cropping up? Is our world going into World War III? Another person talking to me about how they were reading in the paper uh, this desperate cry of a mother in Toronto whose 21-year-old son is depressed and doesn't have a job uh, and therefore qualifies under the assisted suicide laws of Canada that the government will end his life. At 21 years old, her son will end his, the government will help her son end his life because he's depressed and doesn't have a job. What is happening to our country? Another is going to possibly lose their job in the next couple of months because of the recession. Uh, There are so many things going on, and the general question people are asking is, how did we get here? 
Like, how did, how did we go to where things seemed so secure? I remember just 10 years ago, 2012, what a different world it was, 2012. But go back 30 years ago, 1992, remember that? Like, so different. How did we get here? And what's going to happen over the next couple of years? Like, it looks pretty scary. And is there a hope for our nation and for the world? Those are the things, the questions on people's hearts. But it's the same thing that's been going on for thousands of years. Uh, David, uh, as we're going to meet him next cha- or next week, is first mentioned. Uh, he's referenced in chapter 13, but is, he's mentioned by name in chapter 15. Uh, but chapters uh, 1 to 8 talks about Samuel, the, the judge Samuel. And then chapters uh, 9 to 15 talk about... Uh, the lead up to David's emergence under this leader named Saul. And the situation is pretty bleak just before David comes onto the scene. Israel is divided. Israel is invaded. Israel is morally compromised. It is on the downhill slide unquickly. And they're asking the same questions we ask. How did this happen? It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow slide. It's called by many, many different things, but people have called it the human cycle or the cycle of humanity. It tends to have four steps, a different time frames, but humanity tends to go in these four steps. Uh, four turnings, it's been called. The first is the period of prosperity and peace. It's when uh, a nation is built off certain principles and beliefs and, and, and it's built strong under those principles and beliefs and faiths. Uh, Then a second period comes along when a generation, maybe it's the next, maybe it's the one after that, says we don't want what our forefathers had. We want something different. That's called the second turning. It's the period of rejection of the old ways. Then there's the third period. It's the period of deterioration. Uh, When the decisions that were made by that second generation, generation start to take effect and things start to deteriorate. Slow at first, but faster as things go, and that moves into the fourth turning called the period of chaos, uh, when things just seem to unravel or fall apart very quickly. And see, God had brought the Israelites out of captivity 400 years prior to this. And he'd brought them in and he said, I will be your king and I will lead you myself. And if you follow me and have simple faith in me, I will protect you. I will be your God. No need for a human uh, king. I will be your God. But I'm going to put these people in as judges. Now, their job is to just communicate uh, to you what I tell you. They were like prophets. And for 400 years, they were led by judges living in the tribes, as tribes, um, as a nation. And Samuel, as the first eight chapters, which you can read on your own, uh, talk about was the last judge of Israel. And now that we pick it up in chapter 8, it's 12 years before Jesus, or sorry, 12 years before David will even even be born. We pick it up in verse 5 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And they said to him, to Samuel, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. And when they said this, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to everything the people are saying to you. They have not rejected you, they have rejected me as their king. 
They are doing the same thing that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So what is going on here? Israel is moving into that second phase, the rejecting phase. And now Israel tended to go faster than other nations were in that cycle. Uh, but nevertheless, they're doing it again, the second turning. Uh, we don't want God to lead us anymore. Uh, we don't want him to be king over us anymore. We want someone like the kings um, of these other nations. We want a person who will look and talk and lead like those nations do. Uh, we, we know God uh, has told us not to, but we want it. And you know, sometimes as humans, we have a hard time following an invisible God. We want someone we can see. We want someone we can get close to. Uh, And sometimes we have a hard time following a holy God because he's separated. He's different than us, right? We want uh, someone who will lead us who will uh, do the things that we say, right? We essentially want someone who will give us the things that we want. Somebody who's not holy, who doesn't hold us to a high standard, who will tell us stuff even if they know in the long run it's going to be bad for us, right? That tends to be the leaders we choose, and that's what Israel is doing, and and that's what our nation did. When I talk of our nation, I mean the West. I mean those that uh, were founded upon principles. You know, they weren't all Christians in the States and Canada and Britain and uh, Australia, but after World War II, they built up their nations to be more prosperous and free than any other nations had been in the history of the world, and they did so with certain beliefs that a bunch of them were Christians, and they drew from the Bible uh, that people had rights, that they had uh, a quality that uh, they deserve because they were made in the image of God to be protected and valued and and the rights not to have to give everything over to the king but to make their own uh, businesses and so on and so forth. And then out of that came these prosperous nations. But somewhere in the 60s, 70s, a new generation arose and said, we don't want that anymore. Uh, We don't want... Uh, to be a nation of faith. We don't want to uphold the things that are in the Bible. We want it our way. And so they indulged in what was opposite to God. First, uh, you know, at lower levels and then more and more as the decades went on. We could call that the second turning of the West. So Samuel knows that it's not right, and so he prays and asks God, what should I do about this, their request? They say, give me a human. And what does God say? Give them what they want. Give them what they want. And that's my first point. It's this, that God gives individuals, gives churches, gives denominations, gives nations uh, who once followed him the choice. He, He doesn't withhold them from following him anymore. They once followed him. He says, give it them what they want. They know, I've, I've told them in my laws, I wrote to Moses, they know the history of Israel, they, they know what happened in the great times of cycles, but they think they can do better. So give them what they want. And by doing that, by rejecting God, uh, we break that relationship. He gives us the choice to follow. You as an individual, us as a church, and us as a nation, follow me, and my presence will be with you in everything that entails of that. Uh, reject me outright, and, and we will have a broken relationship. And everything that comes with that, it's the human cycle, and God knows it. He could have made us robots that just pre-programmed us, and we all walked around and, and just 100% obeyed God, but he didn't want that. He wanted us to freely Obey him. 
Because there's a love in freedom, right? You, you don't want your spouse to only love you because they're afraid you'll beat them, right? Or throw them out. You want them to love you because they choose to. And so God gives us that. And, and Jesus knows, God knows exactly what's happening. He says it. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. They're not, they've been doing the same thing uh, all this time since, they, since the day I brought them out of Egypt until the day now, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. But you notice God even warns them again, but just warn them one more time. Yeah, they know the history. Yeah, they know the laws. Just warn them again. What's going to happen if you pick a king like the other kings? You're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose your prosperity. You're going to become slaves just like the people of another nation. And sometimes we think we can choose better than God. It's, I've done it many times. I think I know better than God just in this one area. And God says, choose this day whom you will follow. Back in the, uh, when Joshua brought them into the land, he said, choose this day who you'll follow, either the gods of these nations surrounding you or me. Choose. And there will be consequences for whatever choice you make. I remember meeting a guy in my first church that I was at, like not a pastor, just knew a Christian. Um, and I got to know this guy um, as, he, as I was there more. And he was an older guy, and uh, he had at some point uh, left his wife and kids. He told me, I had a wife and kids, because um, he was always there alone, and I, tried, and I got to know him. And I said, at one time, I was, I was young like you, and I had a wife, and I had children, and but you know what? I went to church, and, and I didn't really, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and I, but I wasn't really into it. Um, I'd go, but I was kind of just there and kind of not, and I was making and choosing the things that I wanted to do. Uh, and then their marriage, like many marriages, let's be honest, when you kids, you're in that phase when you're busy with kids, and life is draining, and you're always exhausting, and you're in the height of your career, right? Your, your marriage might not have the same pizzazz that it had when you were just newly married, uh, right? Oh, none of you have ever gone through that phase. Uh, and, and, and so he would say that he, his eyes became wandering, and somebody else gave him attention. And he ended up leaving his wife. And now he, he justified to himself that because this person had come along, God had sent that person along because uh, want, God wanted him to be happy. Right? And so, and so in our minds, we justify God is, yeah, I know God says don't do that, but he's allowing me to do this because he wants me to be happy. And unfortunately, that, uh, well, not unfortunately, the consequence was later that relationship he left his family for uh, broke up and his family was estranged from him and he had no money because he's paying it all in child support and, and now he was an older man estranged from his family. And that's a sad consequence of a decision and I'm sure if he could go back, he indicated he would shake himself and say, you don't do it. It wasn't worth it. And so the people making this request will in a few decades wish they had never made that request. The people refused to listen, it says in verse 19 to Samuel. So Samuel warns them, no, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and go before us and fight our battles. Uh, Samuel listened to the, all the people's words and repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Give them what they want. And so starts the slippery slope that Israel slides on. The slippery slope, uh, an individual or a nation can go down it or a church can go down it. Uh, it's when God allows you to get what you want at varying degrees. That's a scary concept. Uh, 
That should make you pause. That God will at a certain time say, okay, I've warned you. I've through your conscience pricked you enough times. Uh, you're not repentant. I'm not talking about the person who struggles with sin. We struggle with sin. I'm not talking about the person who's convicted and who desires to do better. I'm talking about the person who, who hardens themselves, justifies their sin, that eventually God says, I'll give you what you want. Psalm 106 verse 12 is a record of the Israelites coming out of... Um, coming out of Egypt. And let me read for you verse 12. Then they believed in his promises and sang his praise. That's when Moses brought them through. Um, God rescued them. Oh, they're singing praise. Oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. And then in verse 13, yet soon they forgot his works and failed to wait for his counsel. They craved intensely in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. So he granted them their request, but sent a wasting disease. That sometimes God will give us what we want, and in the end, we will not want it because it won't be what we thought. I can remember back in, if you've come into this church for, say, more than five years, there was something we used to have called Finger Food Feast. Finger Food Feast. It was a long-standing tradition, <clears throat> um, and we can't have it now because we have too many people, um, which is a good problem to have. So, We'll figure something out. <clears throat> but what it was is we used to just, everyone would bring food, and it was like 80% dessert um, and 20% lunch. And then everyone would just get food and talk and, and visit. And people's kids would, you know, kids would do what kids do when there's tables full of dessert. And, and I can remember watching this one uh, child just fill up their plate, like overflowing, like no shame, just hoof, 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 and then go back and eat it and go back and eat it. Like, I don't know how many times they did it. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, at first uh, mom tried to stop it, but eventually mom just let it go on, fine, go, go wild. And then eventually that kid regretted uh, having his way because he threw up all over the sanctuary carpet. And sometimes when we get what we want, it makes a giant mess that someone has to clean up as someone had to clean that up. Maybe it was Kelvin. Sorry about that, Kelvin. <clears throat> so God gave them a king like the other kings. Now, what do you think this kings, the other kings that God was going to give them was like? Do you think they were a man of upstanding moral character who, who would serve the people below them and, and would walk, uh, walk in a, in a morally upright manner? Or do you think, uh, were the people wanting somebody who looked good on the inside or looked good on the outside? Somebody flashy, somebody who could convince and, and wow them. What do you think? Inside or outside? What does the world look for? Nice on the inside or outside? Which? Outside, right, outside. The world always looks for those who look good on the outside and ignores those who are good on the inside. We can see that by people that get elected all the time and the celebrities that people follow. Switch to Chapter 9, verse 2, we, we learn a little bit more about this person. So God's like, okay, Samuel, I know exactly who I'll give them. He looks the greatest on the outside in this whole nation. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than everyone else. He had the same character as them. Uh, he looked good. Uh, he was strong looking. But let's flip over now to chapter 10, verse 17, and see what he was like inside. 
So just to fill you on on what goes in between, uh, Samuel goes on behalf of God and tells Saul, you're going to be the next king. And Saul's like, what? Okay. Um, and then, then he goes to the nations. He says, everyone, all, send all your leaders from the, sorry, from the 12 tribes. Send all your leaders. We've got your king. God has picked out a man just like the nations around you. And we pick it up in verse 17. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord and said to the Israelites, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kings, kingdoms that were opposing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your troubles and your afflictions. You said to him, you must set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. So the way it would happen is uh, Samuel would stand there and God would say, and we already knew who it was going to be, uh, but to show the people, the tribes would come by and he'd say, that tribe. And then the clans in the tribe would come by, that clan. And then the families in that uh, would come by, that family. Until it got down, and we pick it up in verse 21. Finally, Saul of uh, Kish was, son of Kish was selected. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord, has this man come over yet? The Lord replied, there he is, hidden amongst the supplies. They ran over and got him there and stood him amongst the people. He stood a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to the people, do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people shouted, long live the king. So what did we just learn? He's a coward. But hey, he looks good. So who cares if he's hiding amongst the luggage? He's, he's fit to lead the nation because he looks good. So he gave them what they wanted. And now it's good, right? Wrong. It starts to go downhill between chapters 10 and 15 and on after that. Saul, who looked good on the outside, had a very thin character. And if there was one word that could define Saul, it would be pride. Saul was a prideful man. And now prideful people tend to look out for themselves first. We all wrestle with pride. But a prideful person looks out for themselves first, blames everyone else for their problems, and will not repent and genuinely change. And that's who he was. That was what defined him. Whereas David, we'll learn, was a man of humility. And so chapters 13 to 15, uh, there's just a bunch of bad decisions. Now, we got to know that's a 27-year span. From when he's anointed to chapter 15, 27 years occurs in that time. So we got to remember, God uh, summarizes the events, what, what happened, and he wants us to know certain things, but there's a lot of other things that happened in there. So chapter 13, he makes a bunch of bad decisions as a leader uh, and goes against what God has said. No, chapter 14, he tries to kill his own son just to save his own skin, just to save his own face, willing to kill his own son. And then in chapter 15, he directly disobeys God and tries to make himself as uh, God. And so then he loses his anointing. Anointing means like um, a, a, a special blessing or a, a special calling. So he loses his anointing as king. But there's still 13 more years God is going to allow him to reign. And so over that 27 years of those chapters, the kingdom goes downhill. It becomes morally corrupt. It's a religious nation, but only by name. Uh, it's uh, further conquered by the Philistines. It becomes weaker and weaker. 
It's financially unstable and it's divided. Those who love Saul and love the world, those who love God um, and want to follow him. And which leads me into point two. There are consequences for our actions. For you as an individual, for us as a church, and for us as a nation. Now again, I'm not talking about when we mess up and don't even realize it or repent of it. God is gracious. But when we habitually turn our backs to God, tell Him we don't want Him anymore, when we once followed Him, there are consequences to that. It's called reaping and sowing. The Bible talks about it a lot. Galatians 6 verse 7 is one of those places. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. The one who sows to please the flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to the family of faith. Sometimes we can think as individuals or um, as groups or as nations that, um, look, I'm doing what God said not to, and God is not doing anything about it. I've gotten away with it. Aren't I great? 50 years ago, 60 years ago, a generation said, look, we're turning away from the things that God says is good, and we're embracing the things that God says is not good. And look, throughout the 80s and the 90s, we're getting away with it. No consequences. It's called deconstructionism. It's a, it comes out of a philosophy called uh, critical theory, in which... A generation looks back and says, anything from the past is evil and wrong. And therefore, we will deconstruct, take apart anything from that's traditional, and we will build something new according to our own image. It's the human cycle. It's the, that second turning. So back then uh, and continued to today, it was, we don't need the God of the Bible, we'll make our own God. We don't need uh, traditional marriage, we'll make our own definition of marriage. We don't need the traditional family, we'll make our own uh, example of family. We don't need to run money the way God says to, we'll run it the way we say. We don't need to educate our children uh, the way God says to, we'll educate them in the things we find. We don't need to take care of innocent life, we'll kill whoever we deem. We don't need uh, to have gender anymore. We will redefine it, and so on and so forth. And they have, there has been a deconstruction of our society. So as we are no longer in any way resembling what we were 70, 80 years ago, and so we are seeing the consequences of that play out in front of us. But God is merciful. You might say, well, why didn't he wipe out Canada and, and allow these things to happen in the Israelites long before that? Why wait 27 years? Why allow them 40 years? Because he is patient. Numbers 14, verse 18, God says this about his character. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. You know, as a parent, sometimes I stink. Sometimes I just flip my lid and lose my anger. And I am not slow uh, to become angry. Sometimes I stink as a parent. But God is a good parent, so patient with us, so slow to anger. He prefers 
to forgive us. But that verse reads on, but, he says, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation. And also the blessing of those faithful on way more generations than that. And so we look at our country now, going back to what I was talking about at the start, and we say, we look and we're morally bankrupt. We don't know up from down anymore. We look at our finances and we say, well, there's no way this, our, our country can keep running itself the way it is. We look at the churches, and so many churches are just social clubs that, that do exactly the opposite of what God says. Let's have a drag uh, queen show this week. Why? Because we can and because we want to. And we look at our children, and our children are literally dying. Addiction levels. All the things, you know, suicide rates, depression levels. Like we can see the iniquity of, the, of those who made those decisions being poured out on our children. And so everyone asked the question that I was asking at the start, that I asked, how did it get so bad? And the answer is, very slowly, like the frog in the pot. You've heard that analogy. Throw a frog into a boiling pot of water and immediately the frog will jump out. Throw that, put that frog in a, in a pot full of water that's just normal room temperature and slowly increase the temperature over time and that frog will boil to death because it doesn't see the subtle changes or feel the subtle changes in the temperature. And so we as a society slowly over the last 60, 70 years have become what, we're, what we are now. And because there were so many countries uh, that did follow the Lord, we can see the, the, the world shaking and, and the Western nations going into crisis. And here's the thing. I, I try and be honest with those I'm talking to and have compassion. Um, as I'm going to try and be honest with you, I'm not a prophet. I'm not one of those nuts on YouTube saying that they, God told them what's happening next week and then they get it wrong and God told me this week what's going to happen. And I'm not one of those. I'm just a guy who reads history and reads the Bible. And from the Bible and from history, I can see what's coming, what's most likely coming. And that would be honest to say that the next couple of years, next decade, is going to be hard. It may be worse than it is right now. It may get really bad. That would be the fourth turning, that period of chaos, where either a country is revived or a country comes down. And we shouldn't be surprised. That's what I want to say to you, Christians. Is you shouldn't be surprised. As you see the things happening, this shouldn't be like, how did this happen? Peter tried to talk to the Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, who, were, who all of a sudden this persecution came out and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you, as though something strange was happening. Don't be surprised. We know the world and all of its things are, are fading away. Don't be surprised. The Israelites shouldn't have been surprised. They had Moses' law. They had the history of the judges. They had the warning from Samuel. They should have known what was going to happen. And we shouldn't be. We should take the words of that great leader, Winston Churchill, who held Britain together during the greatest war in history, who said, those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat it. And the Israelites would spend another 13 years from the point when he anointed David in an increasingly mad king, under an increasingly mad king. God would bring them to a point where they would cry out for something different. And, and God brings people to where they will cry out for something different. But God has a plan. 
That's the great thing. God has a plan. God has a plan before we even make the bad decisions. He had a plan before uh, Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden through his son Jesus Christ to redeem humanity. He had a plan for the Israelites before they said, we want a king like the other nations. He has a plan for us in this time. I don't know what it is, but I know he has a plan for those who trust him and follow after him. Isaiah 65 verse 24 says, even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. God has a plan. And that should give us great confidence. As everyone else says, what is happening? We can say, God has a plan. The people's king was failing. The nation was writhing. Under 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, the Lord says, I have found a man who is after my own heart. And the Lord has anointed him as ruler over his people. He's not even anointed yet, but God has a plan and God has chosen a man who the world discounted, who the world said, there's nothing good about him. But God looked into that man's heart who was just out as he spoke in a field, looking after sheep, ignored by his family and rejected by the world. And God has a plan for us and he's waiting for us to call upon him as he was waiting for the Israelites to call upon him. Second Chronicles chapter 12 or 7 verse 14 says, God says, if my people who bear my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Humility. There's a man coming called David who walk in humility in front of the Lord and the Lord is looking for us as individuals and as a church and as a nation to humble ourselves, to admit, ah, our way really wasn't the right way. He's looking for us to actually get serious about prayer and about seeking his face. He's waiting for us as individuals to turn away from those things that we know, and we all have them, I have them, that the Lord doesn't want in our lives. For us to get serious with him. And then he will come. And then he may just revive this nation as he did in Britain, as he did in the States. He may just save this nation. But even if he doesn't, He'll be with you. He'll be with me as we go through. Just because the world is going to hell in a handbasket doesn't mean we have to be in the basket. We can get out and we can serve and we can live great lives helping other people and serving our Lord. For as Saul will, Samuel will say in chapter 15, verse 22, the Lord does not take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. As much as in obeying the Lord... For it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Put away the religion. Put away just coming to church and then living a different way. Seek him with all your heart. That is what he desires. Not for you to be perfect, but to have a heart that is after him. And so all those things are probably going to get worse over the coming years. You can have a confidence, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is going to lead us as individuals, as a church, as a country, to wherever he's leading us to, and someday to eternity where we won't have to deal with the cycles of humanity anymore, where we'll just be with him. And if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never uh, received the Savior, David was going to be the Savior of that nation, but God would send his own son to be the Savior of humanity, to redeem us, to pull us, as I said, out of the pit and put us on solid ground. If you've never received him, 
All you have to do is turn to him with a humble heart and ask him to save you from your sins. He doesn't care what you've done. He wants to save you from it. And he will because he is a great and merciful God. So let's close in prayer. And if you want to be prayed for individually after, I'd love to pray for you. Um, And Mark will be up here as well. God, we just thank you so much that you, uh, you, you give us your word, uh, which speaks into our day. Oh man, I would be such a mess. Well, I was a mess without your word, but now I have direction and I, I know what to do and I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I know you're in charge. Praise you that you are with us. Praise you that you uh, have redeemed us through faith in your son. Praise you that we're not talking to nothing, that I'm not wasting my time and that you see and hear and you're with us. We praise you and God give us the confidence to walk in hope as the things of the world happen. God give us uh, enough courage to speak to those who are interested in hearing about you, uh, to those who will be hopeless in the coming years, to those who will lose uh, much. Lord, let us speak the words of hope and truth to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.